All right, you football-loving maniacs, time for another episode of Three Honest Lads. Once again, it is myself, Tyler Terrence, joined by none other, my main man, who is chilling over in Delray Beach, Mr. Devin Kerr. Devin, God, I'm just so happy to be back recording with you. We had a great interview with Sam Fink. I freaking love you. What's up? Figaro, 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 Figaro. How'd I do? I'm taking opera lessons. You, so you ended up spending that money? I spent the money, yeah. You, you spent the money that your mom gave you for singing lessons? That's right. Yeah, eventually. I mean, it, I was told a million times, so I might as well pay dividends. Unfortunately, I've been told that the baritone isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse, so that I should probably move on and stick to my day job. But that's weird because the people at my day job, a la Conlon Games, tell me that I need to find another hobby. So I, I'm not really sure what direction to head in. Can you help me? People are telling you that this is a hobby for you. It's a hobby. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's that, that's more of a hobby. I mean, I keep getting paychecks that end up have now ended up in direct deposits. So that's kind of nice. So I guess I'm doing something right. You've been getting paid. You I'm don't get paid for free. All day. I've been doing this for free. That's amazing. What, doing, uh, what a little elbow I, grease I, I, and a. <laughs> I've been doing some things, not so savory things on the side to, to make ends meet and to be able to afford rent in Dana Beach, Florida. Tell but me, tell we, me, tell me farm animals. I can't <laughs> listen. They pay with maize, okay? <laughs> they pay. They pay with maize. <laughs> What's right. up, man? How we are got, you? We got, a, we got a crap load to cover. I'm excellent. I will say this. I've had two days off. You know, we've had we've had a crazy couple of weeks. Um, you know, I had a bunch of Gold Cup games. And I really been having, I haven't been working out as much as, I, as I'd love to. And you know how active I am. Yesterday, though, I, I really overdid it. And I, and I really was, like, looking forward to this day of, like, physical activity. But I think that I took it one sport too many. I played 18 holes of golf. I played an hour of pickup footy, and then I went to go play two consecutive doubleheader um, company softball games. And by the end of it, I, I was just like battered. I like, you know, I felt like 120 minutes, and I just like could not move. I have like a Gatorade and three waters next to my bed, still on my nightstand. I was in shambles last night, but I was able to sort of like, you know, run off a lot of pent up energy of just like prepping, calling games, prepping, calling games. And I know that you were so- going to the gym a lot recently too. Things have been going quite nicely for me, and I'll get there in a second because I do want to brag. However, I want to backtrack for a second. Your three activities yesterday, respect all of them. And if people only knew what went on to those company softball games and your your ability or inability, the, the jury still out on this one, to round first base, whether you were tripped, whether you tried yeah. to stop and go back, we don't know. However, two out of three of the activities yesterday, did they or did they not involve beer? Because normally when you're on the course, you'll have a beer or two. And normally at softball games, you'll have a beer or two. I had two beers on the golf course. I had no beers at softball. But I did have Nathan. I had a Nathan Top Dog and French fries. Five oh, my God. Before taking the field. Oh <laughs> it was softball. It was sitting in my stomach like a rock. Oh. Like, the, you know, like, like, like Tampa Bay Rowdy's defense. Just a solid, deep block deep in my small intestine. And it just would not go away. Waiting to explode in the other direction. <laughs> It's, Offensively, it's with, the, with, with the help of a fig bar and some coffee, I, I induced the deuce. So I've been back in the gym too. Things are things are going nice for me, kids. Uh, been, not that I've ever been overweight. I'm, I was at two days a couple times. Yeah, I've gone back to one. You know, the uh, the wife has been a little demanding on my end. She's uh, she's got a lot going on personally. It's funny to me though because this is the most active I've seen you've been since I've met you. But like you had your pre-wedding diet, but you didn't really go to the gym. You were just sort of maintaining. But now post-wedding, you know, post-wedding Devin almost seems more eager to like, you know, get back in shape. Not, you know, never that you were overweight, but just a bit more chiseled as it were. Um, well, that's the thing is I'm, I'm six five. I, I can't be overweight at 193 pounds. Like that's not possible. Like my playing weight was 197. <laughs> oh, oh, it's possible. Oh, it's possible. No, listen, but when your body fat goes from 5% to 15% plus or minus, <laughs> it's a big difference. So I'm working my way down. Things are getting nice. And uh, I got to be honest, it's really weird to see how different in like two weeks, like cardio, strength, everything, how it comes back. And, you know, I guess at certain points in time, you just have to realize that God gives certain people with talents. We've established that you're not one of them. I, however, am right there and the talking point of one of the greats. Speaking of one of the greats, we lost one of the greats. Steve Tritt. Oh, what's up with that, man? Oh, I am. I'm, I'm upset. I, I'm really I'm upset. upset because because here's the thing. And, and, you know, and somebody on Twitter said something. I think it was a Phoenix Rising fan. I think it was Phoenix Rising Nation saying, like, you know, the team looked in shambles. You know what? Like, if you, if you, if you don't know truly what's going on behind the scenes and if you haven't listened to the episode of, of us with Steve Tritt or basically any episode, because we basically say every single time we're on here how much BS he has to go through. Okay, because he has the smallest budget in the USL championship, bar none. And, and the and the powers that be 
at Colorado Spring Switchbacks know this. And he truly made chicken salad out of chicken sh- every single time that he steps onto the field. He doesn't travel with 18 players, okay? There's 15, maybe guys 16. Who are available. 15, maybe 16. Like, there, there are so many players that were available that Colorado Springs could have gone after, but that requires money, and they just didn't want to spend the money. So now you're going to take a living legend of the game, the first man to ever go and play in a, in a UEFA Champions League game with Sparta Prague and Steve Trichu, played on the men's national team, has been a scout for the national team, has been, like, part of this game. He's been a, he was a pioneer, blazed trails for the likes of Christian Pulisic, for the likes of Weston McKinney, to be able to go overseas and do what they do now and have the success that they have. So now what you're going to do is say – you know what? You're not doing a good enough job with a budget that could barely hold up a 10-year-old lemonade stand. See you later. You know, that's, that's BS to me. It really is. Because clearly the Colorado Springs switchbacks don't have the pockets that Phoenix has, that, you know, Indy 11 has, whatever it might be. But just let the man do what he, do what he loves to do. Because nobody else that you're going to send in there is going to be able to do a better job. with, with, with And everybody respects Steve Churchu. Don't try to tell me that he lost the locker room either, because I know that that's not the case. I'm, I'm pissed. Alex, here you go. This is f***ing bull. I like it. I like the passion. Get that curse word out early. But I'm with you. It's insane because at no point in time, and not just this year, has he ever been able to have the true luxuries. Let me rephrase that. The true standard necessities, forget luxuries, to go and put a team together. And everybody, oh, you know, would they finish? I think they finished 13th last year or 14th. I know they finished 9th in 2017. Yeah, 9th. Yeah, yeah. They were one off. Yep. They were 9th in 2017. Oh, you know, they bigger expectations than the other. I think that's the biggest thing here is people don't truly understand what goes on here. They expect him to replicate what went on in 2016 where he finished like third or fourth. And when it's a new league and everybody's just coming in and things are figuring themselves out, like, yes, the brighter lights are going to shine because he's a better coach. But when people have the opportunity to get better players to just forget that, forget getting better players. When you go on a road trip and you already talked about it, but let's dive a bit deeper. You go on a road trip in the Pacific Northwest and you're on the road for three games they won't even, number one, keep you on the road. So you could play a Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday in the Pacific Northwest. They would fly them out Wednesday the morning of. They would fly them back Thursday morning, and they wouldn't even allow them to stay out there because they didn't want to pay for hotels. And he would only travel with 15 or 16 players. There are times where he didn't even have a full starting 11 because guys were injured. They're using academy players. They're using guys from Colorado Rapids I'm referencing this year now. And his bench has a goalkeeper and two 17 and 18 year olds. What is he supposed to do? What is he supposed to do when he's competing against Phoenix rising and T2 and Sacramento Republic guys that are on contracts that are on the higher echelon of USL with all due respect. I'm not going to say what the numbers are because I don't think that's fair. They're they're private entities, but that's just not fair. It's insane. And the fact that they have the guts to do this, I hope, and I can't wait assuming that he stays in the game because he's been there for a while. I hope he gets a job somewhere else and comes back and sticks it to this organization oh, because it's ridiculous. It's absolutely it. insane. And I would hire him tomorrow if I had a team. He, I, don't, I don't think we've ever heard. We talked to so many different coaches and players. I don't think I've heard a single person say even anything remotely negative about this guy, even like even close to negative. So I, again, I agree with you hundred percent. I would love to see him get a team with a little bit of money and just, and just drill them. Absolutely drilled him. And, and he's not like a, you know, a malicious guy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he would be the guy who, you know, scores a goal against his former team, doesn't celebrate. He'd have the respect. Like, I feel like that's who he is as, as a person. But, oh, my goodness, I, I would love to see him get a job and just take over. How about another coach who also, you know, gets, gets the can, although a little bit different situation. Martin Vasquez is out. Monarchs have been on a three-game winning streak. Now, let's keep in mind that it was against RGV Tulsa and, and Steve Church's Colorado Springs switchbacks. But, the, the Monarchs and, and the MLS two teams, I mean, Colorado Springs switchback, oh, my God, say that 17 times fast. They, you know, it, it's different. They are the affiliate now of the Colorado Rapids, but, like, it's very different to, to what the switchbacks are to the Rapids. Yeah, they're not the two teams. To the Real Salt. To Real Salt. It's a hybrid affiliation, whereas this yeah. is this is a full-blown this is a full blown MLS two team. And it's always going to be difficult. I mean, we, we know the struggles that Brendan Burke and Bethlehem Steel are going through right now, and, and I can only imagine what's going to happen with that whole situation over the next like six to 12 months anyway. But this is interesting too. And now Olave is going to take over and Olave was the one who took over for Mark Briggs when he stepped down last year. So this is, um, this is an interesting time. And we've had three coaches in the past three weeks that have, that have either been sacked or or stepped down between McGinnis, Martin Vasquez and and Steve Churchill. So McGinnis, I get you and I were on that. We felt from the beginning, again, nice guy. I wish him all the best, but, 
as a startup manager coming into a squad that really needed a bit of an overhaul and, and getting the opportunity to bring guys like Enzo Martinez back, he just got it wrong. Uh, the guys weren't on the same page. Let me, ask tell there were some- Let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this, okay? And I was thinking about this in the shower last night. Is that usually when I'm, you know, sort of by myself and naked? I like to think about different things. And in the USL Championship, it's not weird. It's just, it's just what I do. Respect, respect. Yeah, but, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let, let's let's put ourselves in in Jim McGinnis's shoes for a second, because Mike Jeffries, his boss, was the general manager. I know that McGinnis did not get it right, and that tactically it was it was a mess. He, there was no identity to the team. But let's just ask this. Let, let's ask ourselves of this question. Was he set up to fail from the get-go? Because Mike Jeffries, who's had success with the Charlotte Independence in the past, steps down. We still don't know exactly what happened with that. Steps up into the general manager role. And if Jim McGinnis wasn't succeeding, Mike Jeffries had, had, the, had the clout to be able to just say, you're gone. Let me take over. Like, was he ever really in a position to truly succeed if he didn't have success from day one? I think yes. There's a reason why I think that. The reason I think that is when he comes in with his – Forget what his tactics are and everything. You're a coach and you have a brand new slate. You have the opportunity to succeed. This is a results-driven business. I mean, we are in the day and age. I mean, I get it. It's now even funneled down into USL Championship where you just have to produce. And I get that. And he wasn't even at a 500 level. Nowhere near it. The issue for him was his inability to get the players that were the best on his team all on the field at the same point in time. And more importantly, to use them in the appropriate manner. You and I talked about this multiple times. Enzo Martinez... I'm I'm saying nothing about him as a person or a player. You can't stick him in a cage. That's not who he is. That's not who he was at the independence before. That's not who he was at UNC. And it sure as hell wasn't who he was at Colorado Rapids last year. Like whether you agreed with him getting a contract to stay there or not, the guy performed decently. I mean, even Tim Howard said he was shocked that he didn't get brought back. You cannot let him in the barn. Nope. Yeah. Like you, you can't lock him up. Like let get him to the out, let him run. And that's not the case. What's happened since Jeffers has come back? He lets Enzo roam a little bit. Like, that's the player he is. If you don't want that type of player, don't bring him back. You know what I mean? Well, Jeff, well Jeffries brought him back. Enzo came back under the impression that he was going to be playing for Mike Jeffries. I understand that. But Mike Jeffries, from what I've heard, knew that he was already getting the head, that he was already moving away from the head coaching job. Now, that's fine. So you're the manager. You come in. Maybe you have a piece that you don't want. You're an idiot if you don't want Enzo Martinez. I'm sorry. Like it, it's really simple. You can take 10 people, maybe 15 over the past three years who are still in the league and go, I want that person on my team. He's one of them, dude. You find a way to make it work. He couldn't make it work. He couldn't put, and you and I, we sat down before games going, look at this formation. Look at how amazing this would be. Wow. If we rotate in a four, two, three, one, we can do a four, three, three, where you invert the midfielders in the middle. We can get Nikki on here. And obviously we're talking about when guys aren't injured. So before everybody jumps down my throat, you can throw Nikki Jackson here. You can throw Jorge Herrera here. Enzo over here. You and I had some fun with it. Mark Hill on the holding midfielder, Michael Maria next to him. Like we had real fun with it. And at no point in time did that ever come onto the field. Agreed. 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 That that never happened. So I don't feel bad for him. For Vasquez, I don't know what's going to go on there because the whole Mark Briggs thing, like I, I thought the way that he was treated was insane and, and people can have their own opinions on it. But here's the thing in the court of law and what went on, first of all, it never even went to the, to a judge. The charges were dropped. So agree with it or not, legally they were dropped. He gets, he doesn't step down. Alave gets put or Alave, excuse me, gets put as the interim. And then at the end of the year, literally the day after the charges are dropped, Mark Briggs steps down and they give him the final manager job. He went 11, 11 and two. That is the epitome of 500. And oh, by the yeah. way, he finished the season two, seven and one. He won two games out of his final 10. So now you're going to go, okay, we're going to put him back in charge. Is that really a good, like, that's the look you want. And Martin was your head of the Academy for years. They gave him a five year extension back in 2015 to be continue to be in charge of the Academy. So I understand like you wanted to promote from within when Briggs stepped down, but now like what's going on in the Academy. Now you've got another interim who didn't do stuff for you last year. And I'm not going to say it's going to happen. I'm almost positive. It's not Mark Briggs is unemployed. And I promise you he's not going to Colorado Springs for the, the pennies <laughs> that they're going to give him nor for the players that he's going to have at his disposal. He'd probably get the best out of them. But why would you maybe not consider him back in real monarchs? I don't think they will based upon everything that went there, but He's a guy who he's, he's a really, really good coach. And much like Steve Trichu, every single player you talk about to him and every single person that knows him talks about what a good guy he is. So I'd be shocked if he doesn't show up on the coaching circuit in the next 18 months. All right. So not only do we have a lot to cover from the games in last week, 
what is it, 17, 18 or 16? It's 17, 18 now. Yes, 17, 18. Um, we have a lot to cover from that standpoint, but we also have three questions coming from Brian Cook, who actually emailed us. Yes, if you email us questions or if you ask them on Twitter, we also have to get to Chris Vanderplas's is Phoenix's biggest challenger in the Western Conference in Mexico United. We'll get to that. We actually talked about that on air of the Phoenix T2 game before. We'll get to all of that. But let's start with week 17, and then we'll answer the questions in between previewing uh, and recapping 17 and 18. So we have to go back to a Wednesday, June 26th. Am I right on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. You are on it, baby. Go get it. Shower naked, talking about USL championship and all. Oh, God bless. I love this country. I love this game. Okay. Indy 11, 3-0 over Birmingham Legion. I don't think anybody expected anything different. Ottawa Fury, 3-2 against Charleston Battery, coming off of a draw against Nashville. That's not a bad trip to two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Nashville and New York Red Bulls, too, postponed, whatever it was. First Tennessee Park, there's nothing there. I just assumed the game wasn't played or nobody scored. No, I got abandoned. I got abandoned. There was a, a three-hour delay. So they, how weird is this? So there's like a three-hour delay. They start. They played 20 minutes. It was 2-1. Uh, I think it was 2-1 Nashville. I know Lancaster scored. 2-1 Nashville. And after 21 minutes, and they abandoned the game. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Okay. I don't like yeah. the word abandoned there. It, sound, it's like, it sounds so cruel. Like the child got abandoned. Like why can't it no, just be like, the game got postponed? I agree. Like I, I would never abandon you when we're out at a bar together. I would leave you so that you could go make friends for other people, and then we recirculate around, but I never abandon you. I, I know you don't, and that's why I love you. Okay, San Antonio FC and El Paso Locomotive. Copa Tejas, snooze fest. Nil-nil. Good Lord. Wake me up. Portland Timbers 2, 2-1, in favor of Reno at C2. And it was a game where Reno were down 1-0, scored two goals in a matter of two minutes, Masofsky and Seth Kasipli, and Portland Timbers 2 would then end up getting two losses in the same week, sitting in second place of the Western Conference. We'll get there in a second. Let's move to Friday. How about the fighting Brendenburgs? Farris without James Chambers, you know, just getting it done at Rensselaer. And what a poor send-off for Jimmy Nielsen's group in their last game at the Rent before heading over to Dillon Stadium against Indy 11 on July 13th. But you have to give credit to where credit is due to Bethlehem because they, they performed beautifully. They really did. I, I thought that they were a lot of fun to watch. The oldest player on the back line was 18 years old, Tyler. <laughs> 19. 19. Matt Real 19. Wait, who's not? Oh, Marielle's 19. I'm sorry. The, the, very, the veteran Marielle. He was the captain. Captain, called that one. Yeah, I mean, the, to be fair, like you and I talked about it, they were impressive in their performance. And um, it, it was, you, you never really knew where you were going to get going in. I said to you, I go, I think this game's going to be wide open. And it was. I really expected Hartford to do better. And the final 15 minutes was really impressive from them. Unfortunately, Romero, the game's Romero 90 minutes long. 13 shots off the face. He, he didn't make a pay with his hands until like the 70th minute. <laughs> I know. I know. Unfortunately, those kids have to figure out that the opening 75 minutes of a match do mean something. So credit to the yeah. seal. Kudos. Moving on. Tell me, tell me how you really feel. It's a bit too honest. No, it can never be too honest. Uh-uh. Loudon United, 2-1 over Atlanta United 2. The Ryan Martin era continues to be a prosperous one. Let's head to Saturday. Charlotte Independence grinding one out under the short sleeve button-down king that is Mike Jeffries over Memphis 901 FC. That game was at the Sportsplex at Matthews, although it looked like about, you know, 17 different bunkers scattered all over the Sportsplex at Matthews because that field is just, it looks it looks horrid. It looks absolutely miserable. But somehow they find a goal, Jorge Herrera. You see Valentin Sabella strike the post with a yeah in from the right side with the left foot? Oh, that's what dreams are made of. Lamar Hunt somewhere is just smiling down on Valentin Sabella getting a contract with a team that he beat in the U.S. Open Cup coming from an amateur side of the Florida soccer soldiers. This is, this is what the U.S. Open Cup is all about. Valentin Sabella, you're, you're, you're living the dream out. Just continue to live it out. Indy 11, Louisville City FC. What, what's the name of that garbage rivalry that they have? What is it? Uh, I, IP, whatever. You, you, you know what? FIP, I don't know. CFI. Okay. All right. I have a bone to pick. I have a bone to pick with this rivalry because if you're like, this is a great rivalry between Indianapolis and Louisville. Like the teams are great. You're both getting soccer specific stadiums. You're both run beautifully from a front office standpoint. You have really talented players. Fans are incredible. You guys are doing everything right. And I hope that this is a rivalry that continues to brew for years to come. Okay. But if you're going to give your rivalry such a ridiculously hard name that like an, an acronym that like you can't even say in a sentence without cackling or, or, or here you go again, Alex, or without f***ing it up, 
I love it. I'm stepping in for a second. L-I-P-L-I-P-A-F-C. The Louisville, Indiana, excuse me, Louisville, Indianapolis Proximity Association Football Contest. What is that? What is that? Stop. Give me, give me something easy. Dirty River Derby. The best is the the article from USL last year, the budding I-65 rivalry. Like, though I don't necessarily agree I-65 rivalry is the best name, it's better than the Lippa FC. It's better than that. Yeah, it's better than that. It's better than that. And and (laughs) Brickyard Battalion, Coopers, you guys are better than that. Figure out a different name. That is my formal request. Okay, you guys can email me, tweet at me, whatever you want to do. Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Well, did I even say the score? Indy 11, Louisville City, 1-1, Palo del Piccolo. What a strike. My goodness. And how about Tyler Pasher? Tyler Pasher is like giving Solomon Asante a run for his money in terms of goals in consecutive games right now. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Any thoughts? No? Okay. Moving on. Pittsburgh Riverhounds. They can't stop scoring. They beat down on John Wallenick, New York Rebels, too, last week by a score of three to, three to nil. Now they pop in four against the Bur- – well, rough, rough week for Birmingham Legion. My goodness. Now they pop in four at Highmark. Pittsburgh comes away as victors, four to one. Charleston Battery, New York Rebels, too, a rematch of basically every single first-round match in the Eastern Conference playoffs from the years past. It finishes 1-1 from MUSC Health Stadium. North Carolina FC playing host to Nashville FC, 1-0 win for Dave Sarakin's punch. They've been grinding out some wins as of late. They had an open cup run, but it stopped in the round of 16 against NYC FC. And, like, you can see the comparison between the teams that got to the, that are getting to the quarterfinals in North Carolina FC – They've had a hangover, but it's not as bad of a hangover. It's like if you're only drinking beer as opposed to, like, mixing in some Jameson here and there, like, they're not as hungover the next day. They can still get it going early in the morning, hair of the dog, and they're still finding ways to get it done. They get a 1-0 win against Nashville. Tampa Bay Brownies 2-1 over Ottawa Fury FC. Great game. Tampa Bay come away as victors. Ottawa continue to just give the teams at the top of the Eastern Conference all sorts of issues, but it's Neil Collins' boy who come away as champions in that small battle. We will see who wins the war later on. I think that that'll be a playoff matchup. Tampa Bay-Ottawa market down July 2nd. Austin Bold FC, 5-0 over Colorado Springs switchbacks. The draw, the straw, not a draw, that's not a draw, 5-0. The straw that broke Steve Church's back, unfortunately, RIP Steve. Orange County dropped points again oh goodness to another mls2 team this time it's la galaxy 2 at home again they've now lost the portland timbers too they've lost the Los dose at home these injuries that have just continued to plague orange county are are they're bad they're really bad they need christian duke back they need aiden quinn to just start pulling the strings in the middle of the field again real monarchs 3-1 victors over tulsa over a 1-0 field fresno 3-0 over el paso from chapchancy park as adam smith's side continuing to get results OKC Energy FC get a late one against Las Vegas in Sin City as Steve Cook rattles off another one. How about Phoenix Rising FC 4-2 over Portland Timbers to a battle of number one and number two in the Western Conference. Phoenix just had a, a plethora of opportunities in the first 10 minutes that could not finish them off. They finally get one in the 30th minute. They go up 1-0. Solomon Asante penalty kick. Christian Ojeda gets his first goal in a Portland Timbers 2 kit. It's 1-1 at halftime. And then Portland Timbers 2 get the go-ahead goal early in the second half. Phoenix battled their way back. None other than Amadou Dia with just a scintillating run, beating two different defenders in the penalty area of Portland Timbers 2. And then it's Amadou Dia with the game winner in the 93rd minute off a lofted ball in from Solomon Asante, who now has 12 goals and nine assists on the season, knocking on the door of a double-double midway through the year. And then Solomon Asante... Scores on a penalty kick late on to make it 4-2 to Phoenix Rising. Eight wins in a row. Solomon Asante has scored in eight consecutive games. Seven? Eight. Seven. Seven. Seven consecutive games. He's one behind Haji Berry, who scored in eight. And then Reno, 2-0 over Sacramento. That game from Greater Nevada Field, taking down the Quails. Good week for Reno as they beat Portland Timbers, too. They beat Sacramento. And then how about Swope Park Rangers? They've had two good results over the past couple of weeks. They beat St. Louis FC by a score of two to one. St. Louis hasn't won a league game since April, which was against Swope Park Rangers. So they could be going into just a wildly a wild contest with Atlanta United at Kennesaw Fifth Third Bank Stadium in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open Cup, riding like a six-match winless streak in league play, which is not a great look. But listen, competition play is competition play. Sit in that deep block. Let Sam Fink go be the hero again and just see if he can get onto the semifinals. Devin, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I want to talk about St. Louis for a second. And, you know, we had the Sam Fink interview. People can listen to his thoughts on what's going on. I'm a bit concerned. Here's why. It's not because of the losses. It's who they're losing to and the manner in which they're doing it. Um, 
I respect, you know, they had that, that game back on. So they, they, let me start back there. They beat Sweet Park Rangers back on April 27th. That's their last win. And they're winless in six now. Um, tie on the road versus Battery. That's a decent result. Tie on the road versus Louisville, which I still maintain, although the, the Indy Louisville game this weekend was pretty nice. That St. Louis Louisville game is still the game of the year for me so far, even though it was a nil-nil draw. You can't lose, if you want to be real, you can't lose on the road 2-1 to Hartford. You can't lose on the road 3-1 to Bethlehem Steel. I get it. It's four games on the road, but with the depth of their squad, not saying it's massive. It's just massive against those two teams with the depth of their squad against those two. You got to find a way to get a result, at least get a draw. And they couldn't do that. And then even more concerning again, this, this, June 30th. And I was talking to you about it. I looked it up and I'm like, man, you know, maybe, maybe Anthony's rotating some pieces only saw some of the game. I watched about 40 minutes, did not see the entirety of it. I then watched the highlights. He started a full 11. So I just don't know. I mean, credit to Swole Park, who I guess is doing better-ish, sort of, not, maybe, who knows, east-west, I'm confused. But St. Louis, you got to find a way to maintain some sort of consistency. And I understand you're dealing with some of that on the Western Conference as well for New Mexico United. The difference with New Mexico United is up until recently, they were rotating everyone. You know, they weren't playing their starting 11. They weren't even playing their starting seven. They were they were rotating five, six, seven guys in and out of lineup. That hasn't been the case. That That wasn't the case against... Um, Los Dos on the 22nd. And, and so they get a weekend off and they'll be fresh. And, but it's, it's weird for St. Louis. I, I like Sam Fink a lot. I respect him as a person. I loved the interview with him. I thought he gave some true insight, but they got to find a way to stop the bleeding it, because that becomes yeah. contagious. And it goes back to what you and I talked about where the, the, the competition aspect, and it's another argument, but it comes into this one against two teams and standalones going to win games. You can't just have individual performances you got to find a way because positivity breeds positivity on the same token, that negative side of things, when you're not getting results in one area, it's hard to then flip a coin and go on the road against the MLS champions and go get a result in the open cup. You got enough going on. You need some sort of momentum and they don't have that right now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, all right. So because we have so much to get into, I just want to hop into these questions that we got from Brian Cook. Um, so Brian, first of all, thank you for these questions. They're all very thought provoking and we'll get to all of them right now. So question number one, is there a reason why we don't see more interleague transactions? Obviously, if it's not reasonable or feasible, I understand. But compared to MLS and even other American sports leagues, it rarely happens. Is it a financial thing or is it something else? So I want to be clear here. Your interpretation, interleague or interconference? I think it's interleague. Interleague would be USL Championship, USL Championship, because we do see that. To be no, fair, no, we probably see that more often than not. No, interleague would be USL Championship and Major League Soccer. Okay. So he's referencing why there are not more more um, movements from USL Championship to MLS. Or League One or any other league, like transactions from USL Championship to anywhere else. That's okay, well, I'm, I mean, I can tell you why there's not more from, from USL to MLS, and it's a talent level. I'll make it easy for you guys. The, the reason that most of these guys are at the USL Championship level, most, I don't want everybody picking me apart because at all these players, the reason that most are here is because there's a flaw in some way, shape, or form. If you don't believe me, interview every single coach in this league and say the same damn thing. The reason is, is you'll get good example this weekend. You, you talked about the results. Sacramento Republic played Reno. Um, Sacramento was probably 60, 40, the better team. They lose to nothing. Why they lose to nothing. Well, real simple. First ball gets played in um, onto the back line there. There's a pretty easy chance for Sacramento to handle it. Like really easy. Jaime Villarreal goes to take a touch, literally whiffs over the top of it. No one's around him. Runner goes through finishes. That's one, nothing. Second one comes through. Um, Rivas gets a run in through the back line. It takes a deflection off his nose that never meant to happen. Mitch Tanner comes over to try to challenge. Josh Cohen has an opportunity to come off his line. He stutters. He doesn't. It's two nothing. Two clear cut examples of guys that aren't at the next level for a reason. Josh Cohen should have come off his line. He didn't. Goalkeeper in MLS regularly does. Villarreal should have taken a touch or cleared it away. He didn't. He makes a blunder of it in the middle of the field. That's why he's a holding midfielder for Sacramento Republic. It's not that these guys aren't good players. It's that the level and the consistency has to be better in order to rise and step up. Now, the easy example, but I, I think it's, it's, it's good to go to it, is Mark Anthony Kay. Mark Anthony Kay has rotated into this beautiful holding midfielder that can be a pivot 6-8, even jump into a 10 if need be on certain runs for LAFC. He can do the same thing for Canada. You and I were just talking about it, how ridiculously was that they underutilized his ability and, and him on the field and just playing him in the wrong spots. You have to be able to play as an outside back. That's what I'm saying. Well, I also said played at the wrong spots. John Herman, 
John Herman needs to be he needs to be fired. Oh my God. Lose three two to Haiti. You lose three two to Haiti after being up two nil with the amount of talent that you have on your roster. Go fly a kite. Get out of here. Please. Dude, K was on K was on the bench and freaking Oh my gosh. I'm I'm so upset right now and oh, Davies, there we go. Um Davies played left back. K was on the bench. What is going on in, out there? Like you know it's at the border. On? Figure it out. <laughs> this is so easy. So anyway, let's get get back to Cook's question. It's a level thing. Um, you don't see a lot of those transfers because a lot of guys, to be honest, don't have the consistency to be able to make it at the next level. And the youngsters, you, you'll see more often than not, the youngsters on first team contracts in on the two teams trying to, to buy their time here. And, and I think you have to be careful of that where, yeah, there may be not many guys stepping up that are 24, 25, 26. However, there are a lot of guys that are 17, 18, 19 on first team contracts starting to get regular repetitions. Marvin Laurie is a good look from Portland Timbers too, who he got put on a T2 contract last year for his performance, got put on a Portland Timbers contract at the beginning of the year, spent preseason with them, had injuries, but is now starting to get some reps. Love him. I also like, I, yeah, I also like to look the youngster from Bethlehem still, Brendan Aronson. I mean, this kid last year was a guy who, when FC Cincinnati was at uh, Lehigh Goodman, single-handedly took over the game for the opening 30 minutes before an injury. Um, they don't like to discuss academy players' injuries. It looked like a concussion to me. But a guy who was instrumental in their run of play and is basically not that you can't pen him in under Jim Curtin squad in the midfield, but he's, what, 18 years old, 19 years old? So, you know, it's a level thing. It's a consistency thing. But remember, there are still youngsters getting a look at the next levels. And I think that now USL championship teams are starting to recognize the value for League One, a la Phoenix Rising, FC Tucson, and even um, FC Dallas utilizing North Texas FC. Okay, so I just want to, I'm reading over the question again because I was curious why you thought that he was talking about within the USL Championship. And I think that, Brian, you are, but interleague as far as I understand it, because I just think baseball interleague play is when, like, the Mets still play the Yankees, National League playing American League. So interleague technically means that it's outside of your league. But I think what he's actually referencing is also within the USL Championship. And Devin, correct me if I'm wrong, we have so many of these questions to get to and previewing the next week that we sort of have to keep moving. But I'm just going to go ahead and say this, that I think that it doesn't happen as much in the USL championship because so many different teams have so many different financial situations and very different needs with regards to tactical and whatever it might be, that it's difficult to find two teams that can sort of help each other out in that regard. And I think you saw it with Tampa Bay and Louisville, two teams that are willing to spend money, two teams that are very talented. And they sort of just realized that maybe Antoine Opino is a little bit more suited towards Louisville style of play. And Lucky M. Kosana is more suited or not Tampa Bay, Oklahoma City Energy FC is more suited to Steve Cook's style of play. So I, I think that that's probably why you see it, but the interleague whole jargon lexicon thing has just got a little hairy there. Devin, do you disagree with that? No, not at all. And I want to add one more thing to it just to give him a, a brief answer like you did on those two. Guys don't trade in the East. Guys don't trade in the West within each other because they don't want to make a team better that they're challenging against. You'll see guys in the offseason that may that, that may go from one team to the other in the West, but usually they're bouncing conferences. Um, and, you know, it, you don't see Tampa and, and Louisville trying to make themselves better against each other midseason. Offseason may be better on midseason. Next question. There you go. Okay. Are there tactical trends hitting USL Championship? Indy 11 has been using a three-defender set all year, but I've slowly started to notice that some teams have begun to set up simil similarly. Is it better to follow those trends and outdo folks or try and do something different? Case by case. Yeah, that, that, it's a good question. Um, you, you could pretty much make this argument in any league, to be honest. The the tactical trends you see aren't, aren't necessarily groundbreaking. They're things that are going around globally. I mean, Gareth Southgate going to the three-back for, for England. Um, I, I like to look for Martin. Martin will tell you that he actually picked that up in the Far East when he was out there. He liked the idea of playing the three-back system and, and allowing his holding midfielder, if, if you can call it that, to not only help out defensively, but get involved in the run forward. He likes the outside backs to be involved in the same fashion. His three-back system is much different than what you see out of the battery or out of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Um, and then if you want to look into the West, Phoenix Rising going from their run-and-gun 4-2-3-1 into an inverted triangle in the middle with a 4-3-3-1 holding midfielder. They basically mimic what goes on with LAFC. You see the same thing at the next level for Liverpool. Um, I think it just breaks down into what the teams around you are like, Eastern Conference, Western Conference. It's really difficult to play a three-back in the Western Conference on a regular basis because of the amount of numbers being thrown forward. It's a bit easier, and I use that term easier lightly. When you have a four-back system, you can account for more runners. And yes, it may be a bit more work going forward, but defensively, you're more sound. Gives you that opportunity to explode forward as opposed to in the East where you can kind of sit in a block and, and maintain more possession. Yep. Okay, next question. With San Diego coming in, Nashville on the way out, are we going to hit a point where USL teams are staying in the USL or will independent teams continue to exploit USL 
as a jumping point for MLS. So my initial thought process on this is that, like, of course, yes, technically MLS is at the top of the American soccer pyramid, and that's where these teams want to go. However, if you look at the way that the USL is starting to set themselves up, they look like a more sort of like long-term solution to bettering the culture within the United States and also just, you know, like, it, and promotion and relegation is, 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 is being set up in that manner. League one, league two, championship. I mean, if you're not seeing this pattern, open your eyes and go and just go look at the American soccer pyramid. All of these are under the USL umbrella. And, and promotion relegation is what this country needs. I know it's a taboo topic to talk about at times, but it is what it needs. And with regards to that and, and USL teams either staying in the USL or independent teams coming in and exploding USL to jump to the MLS, you're still going to have teams that want to do that. But it's now $200 million to buy into the MLS. That is a shit ton of money. And... You're going to do that so that you have all of this red tape, total allegation money, allocation money. You have general allocation money. You only have three DPs allowed. USL is a free market. And, and, and you and I have had this conversation a number of times, and I'm still a firm believer that, like, from a, from a purely financial standpoint, the best team that has the opportunity to win a CONCACAF Champions League is a USL team. Because if a, if a USL team were to win the Open Cup, they get the bid into the Champions League. Now, they can go and spend as much money as humanly possible that they want to bring in as many players to be able to compete. MLS teams can't do that. If you looked at Sporting Kansas City and Monterey in, in that quarterfinal within Champions League, or excuse me, within the, um, within the semifinals, if you look at that, Monterey has 13 different players that would be designated as designated players, 13 players who could be making upwards of $7 million or more a year. There's only three available at the Major League Soccer level. So you're going to start to see USL teams that are going to stay because they're going to start to realize that you can make a lot of money in the USL you have, you have soccer-specific stadiums coming in, and that's going to lead into the, to the next question. And I, I just think that from a, from a financial standpoint, from a league standpoint, from the game growing, you're starting to see that USL just freaking gets it. They really do. And, and, and I think that promotion relegation, you could have a league cup coming into play soon. There's so many different things to be excited about with the USL. And to be fair to the MLS, as much, Devin, as much as you and I want to be a part of that from a broadcasting standpoint, you know, there, there are a lot of things wrong about the MLS. There really are. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I think you're going to start to see people realizing what the USL is. And that's just a really well-run league and starting to take on more of a shape of what you see over in Europe. And the MLS is just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it at this point. Any thoughts? Um, I mean, you and I are brothers from another mother in this area. I 100% agree. I think you answered it perfectly. Okay, cool. Next one. I think you guys touched on it, but what is the... Pol- Potential impact of soccer-specific stadiums being built for USL championship teams for the purpose of USL. Will stadium in Indian Louisville help impact other USL championship teams who want their own home, or is it isolated? Another great question. You want to take this? It one? is a good question. It, yeah, it's a massive, massive impact. And to me, this is where the United States, I'm not going to name a specific uh, city, the United States gets this wrong structurally. Um, and, and it all starts with a thought process of, number one, yes, you should always strive to be the best at anything you're doing. However, it is okay to be a second division team. It is okay to be a third division team. You know, people kind of make fun of the, the, the cult people out there, if you will, that are looking into the D3s and the NASLs and this and the other. Support your team. Like, that's what this is all about. I mean, dude, the, the first team I got picked up by in Germany was a fourth division team. There's nothing wrong with that. The difference is, is fourth division over in Germany when I got picked up, the amount that you make and the level is much higher than here. That's where the U.S. needs to start figuring it out. How do you figure it out? Okay, real simple. We'll use, we can use Louisville or Indy. That's fine. So whether it's an MLS expansion team or a USL team, we're going USL championship here. So it all starts with a structure and, and there has to be a structure in place in order for everything to go appropriately. Well, what does that mean? All right. Well, John Hackworth has already showed us in Louisville that he's stepping out of what James O'Connor put in place. Tactically, you know, he gets more involved in the community and, and they've taken to him. Okay. Well, he's also shown that he's willing to go to the youth level to bring talent in. That's a good look. Now they bring their own stadium in. Everybody goes, oh, stadium costs money, this, that, and the other. Yes, it does. But it also provides jobs. And it provides jobs in the sense of, and I've used this example with you before, Tyler. I think this country does a horrific job of casting people aside who don't make it to the next level. What does that mean? Okay, well, you go to college and you decide that you can't be a professional anymore. What if you still want to be involved in the game? There's not many people involved in soccer that stay with their college and get a coaching job or get a broadcasting job or get a groundskeeper's job. Overseas, if you're 15, 16, 19 years old and things aren't going your direction, they will find a way to make you an asset because they've invested so much money in you. So that all comes full circle with the stadium. They put the stadium in 
gives an opportunity for local jobs to then increase. It's concessions, it's groundskeepers, it's ticketing, it's security, you name it. The franchise is going to get bigger, more jobs, more money. That means more stabilization within the community itself. It starts to fund itself. Then you branch down into the youth program. And it's not just one team. It's not just two teams. You get an entire academy. Newsflash, you don't have to be an MLS team to have an academy. Real simple. Sacramento Republic understands that. Phoenix Rising understands that. There are multiple clubs, Charleston Battery, around this league that have an academy system. And guess what? You don't have to start one from the ground up. You can basically nurture what's going on around you and absorb them. That's what this needs to go on. So getting back to the initial question, stadiums are an amazing thing. You need to make sure that you're doing it in the right cities. Louisville and Indy are the right cities to do it. It will make them stronger. Not saying that it has to push them into the MLS, but if for any reason you need a talking point, this will give them a bit of an edge. But more importantly, it makes the community around them better in the long run. Well said. Last question. Also, is two players and coaches. We're, we're not coaches, by the way. Neither of us really have any desire to do that. But I coach for a little while, and I tell those kids to go fly kite. No, stop that. Okay. Is there anything from a studying side of the game you guys would recommend, books, video series, et cetera? Um, for me, and I'm more, of a, I'm more of a civilian in this department. I did play in college at the Division three level, and my claim to fame is that I also played in the Dennis Chef Cup game. But uh, for me, <laughs> as, as somebody who didn't necessarily play out and out professionally, I've been blessed with the opportunity to call 150-plus games a year. So, like, I've just been forced to watch so many games that I'm really starting to get a good understanding. And obviously being with Devin all the time and having these tactical conversations has been helpful as well. There's nothing that I do specifically in terms of, like, outside studying of the game. Maybe maybe I should. I don't know. But, like, it, it's just sort of being around the game as much as humanly possible and having conversations with people who, who are around the game and who – who, who know more about you. Like if you're in a room with somebody who's smarter than you with regards to, let's say quantum physics, you're not going to talk. You're just going to listen. A lot of the times I do just listen with Devin. A lot of the times I argue with him, but that's just sort of become our banter. But uh, Devin, I know that you just watched a, a crap load of, of games as well. And, and you played at the professional level. You, you like, you know, you, you were forced to watch film as, uh, when you were playing. So I don't, uh, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on. The only thing you could add, and I'll get to that in a second, um, I'll do it now actually, is I think reading is a big one to give you an idea of, I mean, it's no different than, than, than any other profession. You know, we have people out there that are willing to share their thought processes. And that can be an Alex Ferguson. That can be a Jurgen Klopp. You can go to any level. You're, Tata Martino. I mean, you can really jump any level you want. The, the conversations that, that you hear from those guys, I don't want to say aren't going to be any different um, because obviously they've achieved a boload, but th- they're going to be similar to conversations you have with guys at this level. Look, w- you can sit down and talk to Martin Rennie and Rick Shant and who's another fun and Neil Collins, and they're going to tell you three different things. That doesn't mean anybody's right. It all comes down to execution. A manager's role isn't necessarily groundbreaking tactics. It's his ability to take what's in front of him and get the best out of them. I gave the example to you earlier this year about how brilliant I thought John Hackworth was because they'd basically gone into a 4-2-3-1. Remember last year, Louisville fans were up in arms about going to the four-back system. That carries over this year, and they had to get away from that because of all the injuries that they had. And what they did was they, they really didn't rely on their outside backs as much. They took Sean Tosh. Now I'm referencing eight games into the season, but they took Sean Tosh, dropped him in behind the, the center backs, and they basically turned it into a 3-5-2 or 3-6-1. That's not groundbreaking tactics, but it is John Hackworth recognizing the talent he has in front of them and how to get the most out of it. I think that's probably where a lot of coaches struggle the most. And to just understand from a coaching standpoint what you can do differently, it's just learning and and looking at the examples that are in front of you. So you read books from these guys. You watch a boatload of tape. Yes, I did have the opportunity to play. And then so maybe I got the inside a little bit on, on guys' thoughts. But those thoughts aren't any different a lot of times than what people put into books. It's just application. And so the more that you watch at every level, the more that you learn. We can sit and critique. I mean, Tyler, you and I are a good example. We're massive Liverpool fans. You and I can sit and critique Liverpool sometimes and just go, this is awful. This is terrible. We don't like any of it. And they win one nil. That doesn't mean Jurgen Klopp was a bad coach that game. It's just sometimes you don't perform to that level. And some of these guys aren't world-class coaches. Some of them are. But the more you watch, the more you read, the more you learn. And the most important thing at the end of the day is have an open mind. The day that you close yourself off to what's going on around you and you think your way is the only way is the day that you become stale in this business and you don't evolve and you end up without a job. And there are plenty of coaches around the world that will tell you that. All right. So, Brian, we thank you so much for your questions. Again, threeonifiedthegmail.com. If you send us questions, we will answer them. It's as simple as that. Um, all right. So we have a boatload to get through. 
So one more question came from Chris Vanderplas over in Phoenix Rising. Is New Mexico United the biggest threat to Phoenix Rising right now? We have this conversation on air. I'm starting to believe that the answer is, is no, and I'll say it for this reason, and all sort of depends on how New Mexico answers league play after the Open Cup, because refinding form is extremely difficult to do. You had it before the Open Cup started. You started to drop points. Can you refine form after you, you, after you exit the Open Cup, either as champions, as quarterfinalists, as semifinalists, as finalists, whatever it might be? Can you refine that form? It's very, very difficult to do. And with that said, if they don't, I don't know who is. If they do, then 1,000%. And it just comes down to the fact that if you get to the playoffs, it's a one-off. All that you need to do is just try to pick off Phoenix once. But right now, the way that you're dropping points is you're probably going to have to have a relatively tough conference semifinal game. Every game within the playoffs is tough. But if you're going to get a four or five seed and be hovering around that area where if you win your first round game, then your second round game is basically is really, really difficult one. And it could be Phoenix in the first in, in the second round of the playoffs, whatever it might be. But if you can refine that form, then New Mexico United is the biggest threat. If not, then I would have to say that it's going to be somebody else who I don't necessarily know. Devin, thoughts? 100% agree with you. Um, we, we briefly touched on this at the beginning, and I'll get through it in about 120 seconds. You have to remember for New Mexico United, they were rotating pieces. Go back to the 5-1 loss on the road against Vegas on June 15th. Um, Manny Padilla starting it right back. Don't necessarily disagree. Don't necessarily agree. Josh Suggs is a massive blow. Him not being there really yes. hurts them. And when they had Samson on the right and Suggs on the left, they looked better. Muhammad and Madden were in the middle. Don't like that at all. Uh, the two of them together cannot be the combination. Tommy Madden needs to be outside to be effective. Ryan Williams up top. This weekend on the road against Los Do- or excuse me, last weekend, mm on the 22nd, on the road against Lostos. They played a full 11. Lostos is much better at home. I don't mind the 1-1 draw. I agree with you. How can you handle the Open Cup? More importantly, I'll be curious to see how they handle. They've now had the week off. So a good time without an Open Cup play, a week off, you get to go on the road to Real Monarchs. Um, they're going to have to balance, including Open Cup play, four games on the road against Real Monarchs, Fresno, Sac Republic, and Minnesota United. I said this on the air against Phoenix Rising. I still believe it now. I think T2 is the biggest threat. I'm curious to see what New Mexico does, but I still think T2 is the biggest threat. If you're in Phoenix and you're really, you think that you guys had some amazing game on Saturday night, you didn't. You look great for 25 minutes. You look okay, partially bad when T2 picked you apart for about 35 minutes and then found a way down the stretch to get it done. Even in the closing moments of the game, they weren't overwhelming, but they did enough to get it done. That's the true mark of a great team. But remember, this game was 2-2 going into added time. So that gives you a real good idea. In a recent run of form for Phoenix Rising, who's been able to rise up to the challenge? If it was not for Amadou D and the late PK, that's a 2-2 draw. So right now, T2, possibly New Mexico United in the long run. Okay, week 18, we're going to bust through it, all right? San Antonio FC, Austin Bold FC, more Copa Tejas. That's going to be from Toyota Field on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, these next two games are on Wednesday. We're, we're blazing through this right now. Here we go. Reno, RGV, that game from Greater Nevada Field, 10.30 Eastern time kickoff. Quails and Foxes, Sacramento and Fresno, Simon Elliott and Adam Smith, 11 p.m. from Papa Murphy's Park. That's going to be a great little fixture. Pittsburgh Riverhounds and Bethlehem Steel, in-state rivalry and two teams that are sitting right, right, right on the cutoff line for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Big matchup at Highmark Stadium on Thursday. These are all 4th of July fixtures, very patriotic, very American. North Carolina FC and Charlotte Independence. Carolina Derby, Southern Derby, whatever it's called, I forget. But anyway, Dave Sarakin, Mike Jeffries, two of America's greats, going after it at Salem Stadium at Wakefield Soccer Park, 7.30 Eastern time kickoff. Also 4th of July, Colorado Springs switchbacks after Steve Trichu will take on Orange County, who has struggled mightily not only this season, but at home. They're going to be on the road at wider at altitude. Yes, at altitude, don't give me any shit. Las Vegas Lights FC, home against Los Dos. That's going to be at Cashman, 4th of July, $2 tequila Thursday nights, maybe, probably not, but we'll see. New York Rebels 2, hosting Iowa Fury. New York Rebels 2, trying to get back into the mix of the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta United 2, playing host to the Charleston Battery. And, of course, we are going to have some great football in the Atlanta area, featuring St. Louis FC. That game will be on Wednesday for the U.S. Open Cup. Louisville City FC and Nashville, potential Eastern Conference final preview, Saturday, July 6th, although Devin thinks that that Indy 11 Louisville City game that we saw this past weekend is going to be the Eastern Conference Final that we eventually see in November. Memphis 901 FC playing host to Hartford Athletic. Boy, do Jimmy Nielsen's group owe Tim Mulqueen one as Memphis 901 FC have handed to Hartford Athletic a number of losses this year, 
both in league play and in open cup. RGV are going to play host at that sluggish HGV park against the Tacoma Defiance, looking for a win against that young, eager Chris Little bunch. St. Louis FC, home against Loudoun United. This will be a really good opportunity to get three points heading into an open cup match against Atlanta United from Kennesaw on July 10th. OKC Energy FC and Steve Cook will play host to El Paso Locomotive and Mark Lowry at Taft Stadium, nine Eastern kickoff in the middle of our country. Real Monarchs playing host to New Mexico United. As Devin mentioned, how are you going to manage Open Cup and manage all these games on the road? We will see. Portland Timbers 2, final game on Saturday night. They're going to be playing host to Michael Encian and Tulsa Roughnecks. Phoenix Rising on a bye week. Swope Park Rangers hosting Tampa Bay Rowdy. Swope Park have now drawn Charleston and beaten St. Louis. Can they complete a trifecta of sorts against Neil Collins and Tampa Bay Rowdy? who are coming off of a nice 2-1 win themselves. And finally, certainly last but not least, Charlotte, Charlotte Independence, my goodness. Charlotte Independence and Pittsburgh Riverhouse Sportsplex and Matthews Sunday. So they have a Thursday-Sunday fixture week. That's very interesting for the Independence against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds and Bob Lilly. That's going to do it for week number 18. We are pushing close to an hour mark here. Devin, any parting words for the football loving maniacs? Just happy to be back. Excited for the games. Um... Thing I was going to say something, but I decided to ohm it out. I'm done. There you go. All right. Three honest lads at gmail.com, at three honest lads on Twitter, or if you just want to tell us that we suck or just yell at Devin on Twitter, you're more than likely more than welcome to do that as well. Football loving maniac, we freaking love you. Have an awesome week and a great weekend. Happy Fourth of July. See ya.